Welcome to the Kansas City War Room, Warlords. This is episode one of the Strategicana Saga podcast. Being the first episode, I thought terrain would be a symbolic way for us to start our roundtable discussion. Today, I have asked two of our local players that are extremely strategic with terrain deployment to talk about their thoughts, tactics, and ideas regarding terrain. First, I'd like to introduce one of our local players, Josh. So Josh, if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about your wargaming history and how long you've been playing Saga. Yeah, so I've been gaming for about 20 years, um, but uh, I started Saga uh, right before COVID, um, about 2019, I think. Uh, there was an Adepticon, and I saw some of my friends hanging out at the Saga Hall at Adepticon, and I watched them play on Sunday, the Age of Vikings tournament, and got pretty excited. I bought my first warband that day, and then I was ready to play the next year, 2022, Mm-hmm. Or uh, I'm sorry, the next year, but then COVID stopped it. Uh, COVID stopped it, and it took till 2022 to actually play my Vikings at the Age of Viking tournament. Um, that was a lot of fun, and then um, basically moved to Kansas City where I had regular opponents um, on a regular basis and participated in uh, Depticon 2023. Um, so yeah, I've been playing for maybe a year, a little bit extra. Yeah, and so one of the big reasons I, I have to invite you on here is because I know recently when we all went up to Adepticon, uh, you actually came out of the Age of Ancients Championship. Um, and I King know. King of Kings. You... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, King of Kings. Yeah, King of Kings out of the, the Age of Ancients tournament up at Adepticon. Um, and you played a list that a lot of people didn't think was going to be a winner, and you ended up really doing well with it. Yeah, the Spartans. Um, I also did not expect to be a winner <laughs> either. That was a surprise that I learned on the table. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun and some good experience. Yeah, and so that's one of the reasons, like I said, and every time I sit across the table from you, you're somebody that when I watch terrain deployment, I just feel like I learn so much every single time I see it. And then looking back to even that, where you, you took the Spartans and you did a really good job of commanding them. Um, so just thank you for being here today. Yeah, sure thing. And so the second guest I've asked to come on uh, is Stephen Holdeman III. And and so kind of just asking you, Stephen, how long have you been playing Saga? Hey there. Uh, well, uh, I've been playing Saga since the start of it uh, in first edition. I had some of the you know first release of the first four boards there, and I've been playing it ever since. Uh, I have kind of a competitive game background too, but I feel like uh, a lot of players, when they finally discover saga you slowly drop all your other games and focus in on it because it's the best but uh <laughs> and so i've uh, i've had a pretty successful saga kind of competitive uh tally over the years i've got several kind of adepticon wins and then my big feather on the hat was definitely i was part of the u.s winning team at the saga world cup in 2019 uh, a title I get a hold on to for a very short time because the new one's rolling out in Germany Germany here soon. So, yeah, I'd say it's only a few months out at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's I say I, I say I've known you at this point. Geez, we've known each other for twenty something years, and mm-hmm. I've known you played Saga forever. I finally dipped in, and like I'd say the same as with Josh is every time I play against you, I always see like the way you do terrain is just I'm usually in awe. I'll say that I'm usually in awe of like watching the terrain go down. I'm like every little move was just, it was almost perfect at that point. Um, well, that's awesome to think about, but sometimes I don't think the same way. I try. <laughs> but, uh, and, great, appreciate that. 
So I just want to say thank you both for joining. And like I said, Stephen, we'll we'll get into a lot more conversations as we go forward. Um, And so for the newer players, um, since the idea here is that we're going to be doing a much more nuanced kind of in-depth discussion, discussion, we're not going to talk so much about the rules specifically. We're going to kind of talk about tactics, deployment, kind of how you use terrain um, competitively. And that's kind of the idea of what we're we're here to do. So for the newer players, if you want to grab uh, your rule book, page 34, or the Book of Battles is page 8 for the universal method. Um, and I'll just kind of jump in with kind of the first question we have. Okay. So kind of finishing off here with Stephen, kind of lost you there in the very beginning. And so I just wanted to cover, kind of recover some of the stuff you talked about. So how important is terrain in Saga? Well, uh, as I you know, try to spill it to before I got lost there a little bit, is that I definitely feel passionately about this. Uh, terrain is arguably one of the most important things in Saga. And just right off the bat, uh, one of the things that allows us as players is that anyone who's played a lot of war games recognizes how vital terrain often is to the outcome of some of their games. Or at the very least, if they lose very badly or some other thing like that, they, they definitely remember it. And Saga gives us an opportunity, rather than having to argue about what the, the terrain setup should look like, and you're, you're kind of jockeying with position with your opponent as you're trying to decide the terrain of saying, oh, I, God, can I just get him to put the woods here? I know I'm, gonna, I'm really going to need that for cover or something else like that. We, we get to skip past that a little bit. Or sometimes you're playing in a tournament and there's fixed terrain, and every time you sit down, as soon as you sit down and look at the table, you might say to yourself, I'm lost. I, I, there's no way for me to pull out of this. I might as well pack my guys up. I have no cover. I'm not going to make it across the field, all these types of things. So, but saga, the real first step of the game, the saga, the first game itself in saga is the terrain and what it offers us other than a very even way of approaching the entire concept of terrain is a chance for each player to engage on a battlefield that they had a hand in trying to make. And, you know, as we've talked about in this, this podcast previously there, uh, being able to pick your ground has, has a huge, huge factor in outcomes. Mm. And a lot of people sometimes just look at terrain as an aesthetic option of a game like Saga, but they need to recognize that it's a vital, important piece of the game. And you can see it reflected in the rules a little bit. You know, in many of the scenarios, the first player starts out with only three dice uh, or has some other handicap because they've mm-hmm. been gifted the tremendous advantage of having the first say, the first bit of tempo in placing the terrain. Uh, and so if you're skipping this option, if you're just kind of muddying your way through it, you're missing an incredibly important interaction and a gift, honestly, that Saga and its writers have given us to, to really approach the game in a, in a strategic, complementary way as we're doing our train, just the same as, as we're playing the game further down the line. And so a lot of people think the game starts in turn one, but boy, it, it starts in terrain deployment. Yeah, I like that. And that's, um, that's what I always like. I always like the historical context, too, to that as well as that idea that terrain won turn Terrain didn't just win tournaments, it won battles, right? The, if I can choose a better terrain than you, that, that's a big big part of that so i like the idea that saga that's where you start that's the very first first phase of any game right and, and as we talk about you know in some other contexts too it also makes it so that every time you sit down on that battlefield 
you have a chance to sit down on one of five or 10 different sort of battlefields that you're used to. In a way, you are picking a favorable piece of ground for your army, just the same as a commander might beforehand. And sometimes you're screwed, but that's also part of the guile and strategy of your opponent then in that case. And, that, and that's somewhat reflected in the terrain placement game itself. Yeah, from my perspective, um, I do think terrain placement in Saga is very important. Um, I think it actually comes down to two, there's two elements that make it important or not, like almost a continuum, right? The first one is player interest. If the players are interested or not in terrain placement, that there is terrain on the board. And the second one is the scenario. I think both matter on how important terrain is to the player in Saga. The first one, player interest, right? If both players are not interested in terrain, then they're gonna place the three pieces. Their pieces are gonna be off to the sides. It's not gonna really play a part. They're basically playing in an open you know, field, like a pitch battle or something, just right in the open, right? But if even one player wants terrain to be significant, then there will be at least two pieces probably, uh, that are going to have some interaction with the armies, right? Based on how the train, the universal deployment rules. Um, and the scenario actually plays a significant part because some scenarios, um, and maybe not just from the Book of Battles, but from like Saga Thursday, uh, revised uh, battles, those, those scenarios, mm -hmm. sometimes those scenarios actually change or, or restrict where terrain can be placed which influences the battle um, that I, um, yeah. So there's, there's a variety of different ones. I mean, if you think about the river scenario where you have a river, it's in the middle and you mm -hmm. have a bridge, it's in the middle, right? I mean, that's sort of basically governs, like that's almost the extreme version of the, the scenario dictating how terrain matters. Uh, and the other is like, you could have clash of warlords, which again, how important is that? Well, terrain doesn't really interact with anything other if unless you want it to um but then there are ones where like oh you have objectives on the center line now 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 placement of terrain actually starts mattering in a in a certain way and um so the way i look at terrain deployment personally is i i look at it from a perspective of i'm looking at how can i place this terrain to gain me an edge in the game Right. That's that's basically the summation of my my approach. But if the edge is I deny you as the, my opponent an edge or if I gain an edge. Right. But either way, I'm gaining an edge. That's the point. Right. I'm trying to get an edge. So that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, yeah. I'm either trying to disrupt my opponent in their deployment zone or protect my army or parts of my army, mostly in my deployment zone. So those are sort of the. The, the ways I go about it. That's how kind of I look at it. Yeah, and see, that's the note I like is I always think about like how aggressive are you in your terrain deployment or are you really passive? Um, and something like that has always reminded me of like, what are you trying to do here, right? I always think that's the, the best first big question to ask is what are we really trying to do here? Just throwing stuff down or, or am I trying to gain an edge, right? Are we doing a really competitive game where I want a good kind of like a, I don't know another way to put it, but just really a really big chess match at this point. And this is just the first layer of that. And so that kind of brings me to, I guess the big question is, is how does your, um, 
play style or warband change that terrain deployment? And this is where we do get into that kind of theory of there's so many different scenarios and different ways that you already kind of get locked in. Um, but for you, does your play style or your warband change your terrain deployment? I think uh, to go ahead and walk into uh, there's a couple core styles of warbands in Saga, and we can try to break those down maybe later a little bit. But you know, we have our range that want to be fairly static. We have mobile jammies. We have the cavalry armies of different types, composite bow armies, and then the plain melee infantry armies or infantry, melee cavalry, or one or the other. But all of those do want kind of specific. If they don't want to hurt my opponent, and if you don't have too, too big of a stake and wants, a lot of times you might be deciding to just try to hurt your opponent's deployment in some kind of way. If you're an all-infantry warband with no shooting of any type, you know, a lot of times terrain's going to be a, an annoying factor if you have certain objectives or certain bottlenecks created on the field because you're going to slow yourself down a lot of times going through it unless part of that was your plan. You might be playing against a, a fairly static shooting warband. And a lot of times people make a, a kind of natural decision to try to create a terrain barrier to block the, the line of sight or something else like that. But oftentimes, I think in those games, it turns out that halfway through that blocking piece of line of sight uh, terrain becomes a hindrance because now it's uneven terrain that you're having to slog through while they're still taking less effective shots against you, but still consistent damage on your warband and stuff. I so that's, a, that's a, interesting there, Stephen, because I tend to play infantry. And I actually pref mostly prefer infantry-based armies, right? And the thing I find difficult, right, obviously, is facing cavalry armories or, like, maybe javelin cavalry, right? So my goal when I place deployment with the perspective of an infantry-based army against um, basically a superior mobile force is I'm trying to use the, the the train deployment to kind of either block off or give myself, like, focus your, like, the opponent, my opponent. I'm trying to focus or narrow their zone that they're able to travel in, which gives me, hopefully, a chance to be able to, you know, they stop, right? They move, they do their jab throw, they do their bo composite bow throw. And then I move and be able to charge, or I'm able to uh, like catch them. Basically, I'm trying to place deployment or a train in a way that allows me to catch the the cavalry armies, right? And so I want the right. big pieces that makes it harder or slower for them to walk through. Uh, I'm trying to place them in such a way that will restrict the, the 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 zones that they can go in, or 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 maybe they can go around. Right. I've had that where, you know, face Charles and he had a bunch of camels and he walked around the other side for like two turns. Right. Great. That means most more of my army can fight less of his army and, you know, come right. at me one at a time. Where, you know, so that that gives me a, a, a extra edge. Right. That's so that's how I think of the train when I'm trying to deploy against uh, a, a different type. 
right? But I mean, you have a good point, right? Like, well, I think that does the depend on the phase two between, like I said, in my scenario, was against a static shooting army. You oh, know, sure. yeah. mobility has not. And so exactly. I, I feel the exact same way also against cavalry. A lot of terrain is, is trying to create bottlenecks to force your and it's exactly like you said, a lot of all war games is trying to take a small amount of their army and beat it up with a large portion of your army one little bit at a time. And, and terrain's the most important aspect probably for that. You, you're not going to. Otherwise, you have to rely on poor deployment and movement choices of your opponent to get the opportunity to, to set up in that way. Terrain forces the issue a little bit more. And I think a good example as far as scenarios go is the scenario ambush, and I might be getting that wrong, where we have three carts that, they, that go across the map. Uh, they go long <laughs> ways across the map. Uh, and there's some some unique deployment restrictions on there. You have to come onto the table in that scenario. And you can only come onto the table within like roughly 18 inches or L plus M from where one of the bags is at. And there's yep. a chance the bag is going to move beforehand. So you have to consider each one of these factors as you go to set up your terrain. And if you're fighting against the cavalry army, especially, or someone else who doesn't want to be slowed down, you know, you know the very closest minimum point that your opponent is forced to deploy on. And if you want to mess with that by putting a marsh or a rocky ground or some other sort of thing, they're usually the 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 main piece of of annoyance. A lot of times if it's not a marsh is the uh, the rocky hill, the uneven grounds, no cover, large space. And you can flood that zone on ambush and force your opponent to have to deploy either in that terrain that they don't want or in a very small kind of L by L square in the corner. And uh, and that's a, a pretty big deal. And so scenario is, is the other major factor for sure. That's a really good point. When I think about like that, the, the idea of ambush specifically is like thinking about where are they going to come on the board at in this scenario? Because it changes a lot of that. Is now I'm thinking, I'm thinking a turn or two ahead of how is this terrain going to start impacting the game later down the road? in comparison to like we set it up and it's static, like you said, and now maybe two, three, four, five turns down the road, how is this terrain going to continue to impact their game? Um, which is probably one of the things I, I feel like out of both of you guys, I struggle with is that I'll see the terrain. I'm like, man, I'm in round four or five and we, we're in a good place, but this terrain is still continuing to be in my way. Um, and that's well, and I I think... guess, even a side question I think of for you when you deploy terrain, do you think three, four, five rounds down the road at this point? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people actually do, too. It just depends on the context of the piece and the army. But I'll give you an example. And that is the kind of classic bunker piece. You know, a dedicated shooting unit might be field position. It's a bunker that you put your, you know, it's it's going to be solid cover and you put a ranged unit inside of it. It's a pretty classic terrain setup that you see, whether people feel informed about terrain or not. It just seems sensible a lot of times to do it. And by putting those guys in there, you're already anticipating that terrain coming into its highest effect as it relates to the stat bonus you're going to get, you know, somewhere on turn three and four and four on. So you're expecting a mid to late game uh, advantage gained by putting that terrain piece down to begin with. Another example is the bunker all the way in the back. You know, a common tactic these days is well for always is to be taking these little four-man packs and small packs as saga dice generators stuck in your backfield 
And every time you tuck them into terrain back there, you're playing for that later game. You're, you're hoping that that will somehow protect you in a, a later phase of the game where you're not deployed down each other's throats or something like that. The, the key is to just expand that logic uh, a little bit further a lot of times. We've applied it to our defense, and now we just need to apply it to our offense. And that goes back to what Josh and I both, I think, were talking about of creating forced movements and forced engagement zones on your opponent. You know if you have a forced engagement, a lot of times the biggest heat and saga is happening on turn three and four. Uh, Josh turns that around on me plenty there, crushing me <laughs> just the other day and stuff like that. So obviously it can go around, but um, and, and, you know, terrain played into that stuff too. So a lot of us are planning, I think, further down the line, because if you are only playing for turn one and two, that kind of ties into the infantry army stranded against the static shooting army and an example i'll give for that is say you're playing a, a viking age faction you're doing one of the viking dice or something like that your opponent is carolingians or normans and they've spread it out to have kind of three shooting bases that are all converging on their probably advantageous terrain uh forcing you to come closer and closer and again mm -hmm. sometimes thinking is to block those lines of sight with high terrain or something like that but then you might find halfway through that, God, it's it's turn four. And I was really hoping I was engaged with one or two of these units. And now they're hitting me from all sides. And I feel bogged down because I was thinking about the advantage of not getting shot on one turns one and two rather than being slowed down on turns three and four. Uh, and so short sightedness can definitely hurt you. But we should all be thinking about the middle of the game as much as we can. The end is, is, you know, arguably the most overlooked and important part, but the middle of the game is the punching match a little bit. So, you know, I like that point. That's where like round three and four, the, that's, that's where the, that's where all the engagements really happen at that point. And then what round five and six is kind of trying to clean up the scenario and kind of get what you can. And definitely yeah. depends on the context for sure. Yeah. And yeah, so I guess that's kind of when I think about that is we've kind of covered some of that stuff, but for you, is there a specific piece of terrain you use often? Um, is there something that you like, like it's a go-to for you? And it doesn't even have to be your specific style of warband. Just is there any you? It's kind of a favored piece of terrain or something you use often. Well, I, I think you're probably anticipating this answer because you've seen it on our tables plenty in Kansas City. Uh, but the marsh is an yes. old favorite in our area. <laughs> the marsh is a favorite. And... The marsh is the epitome of the mess with your opponent piece. It gives you no advantages. It's only there to be deployed offensively, pretty much. And, you know, depending on your warband, that, that might be in different spots. An example I can give of that is the Numidians that I love have the ability to draw a unit in closer to them against their will. If you have a marsh in the center of the field, you have a lot of different access points of being able to potentially drag someone into that marsh and, and get some advantage especially if you're playing against an elephant or something like that draw the elephant in it now gets an, a fatigue that's like putting you know some extra hits on it right off the bat um and so that's probably my favorite piece the second i would throw in there too is the large hill uh the large hill and is arguably the most important terrain piece a lot of times because the large hill represents the the denial of offensive terrain placement all over the board or defensive, I guess, too. But 
and I think we'll get we'll, we'll expand on Large Hill maybe a little bit later on and stuff too. Large Hill is the cornerstone, but I'll, I'll allow Josh here too to say maybe his favorite pieces and stuff. But. So I think it depends on like how you're hoping the, to play like your army, right? Like um, sort of as a mix of this last question and the previous one. Um, like for example, the play style. So when I played my Spartans at Adepticon, um, I brought the, uh, you know, foot troops, but I picked the mercenary unit. I picked the Illyrians because they moved fast and they could ignore terrain. And they had a really good option against what I thought was my weakness, which is either stuff in terrain or, you know, the cavalry units that are going to just circle me and try to shoot me to bits. But I wanted to have a tool that would allow me to sort of try to counter that or negate that or reduce that threat. Um, and so as far as terrain goes, right, like my goal on my last game against um, the Indians at Adepticon was I knew I wanted to have a piece of terrain that I could run my Illyrians into and then assault out of. Normally you think about like bow shooting from terrain, but in that case, I wanted to spring them out, throw javelins and then charge. And what I did was I was able to su successfully place a large tree set of trees sort of in the middle toward the, my opponent's side and that first turn i ran those illyrians in and then i was able to on my second turn you know do what i said i chart i you know ran out l and then was able to throw javelins um i i screwed that javelin throw up because i re-rolled when i shouldn't have but uh <laughs> right but then i was able to charge and take off a dice right so uh and then that group of illyrians sort of occupied like two or three points of of the, my opponent's army for not three turns so all right but but and that opponent that terrain piece cut my opponent's army sort of in half he spread off across the board he he kind of was behind that train he didn't go beyond it he didn't come to where my core of my army was mm -hmm. so that terrain piece helped separate which that separation concept is also something i try to do in other games just in normal right i'm trying to either force my opponent to like that's that the deployment lane or that lane where you travel right i'm trying to block off part of the board in some cases or have them split up right if you have like a three objective mission right you, i try to place one sort of between the middle and one of the sides so that some it takes harder it's harder for someone to get through there and they have to either wait one side or they have to sort of lightly cover or ignore a side right so it's sort of a a mix i don't know what they're going to do i'm just hoping to be able to adapt to what they're going to do um and so like like i said yes the terrain that i prefer i often will pick marsh for exactly the reason steven mentioned um i've recently had the hill be used against me or <laughs> for me right like actually play like like it's a choice do you do you want to place the hill defensively in your deployment zone to secure a line of travel toward an objective for example or something that's important like maybe it matters uh, yeah, or or you want to place it in your deployment zone to prevent your opponent from being able to secure their air their deployment zone right so like that's kind of a, how do you play that? Well, it's a choice. And um, there are lots of different ways to play it, but um, it's it, that that specific terrain piece is it does matter. So um, I think the fact that there's limits on the terrain 
is very interesting and makes that game it makes that uh the train placement game uh very interesting so uh yeah anyway that's my right. thought on that to probably spring on that too you know a lot of times when people are playing saga for the first couple times too you can look down and say why on earth would they have the first player only getting three dice and and josh really hit it on that one too is that the developers in their own way have looked of being able to pick from this tool set of terrain pieces and have decided that it's it's worth a lot and in certain games it maybe is the most important thing uh if you got a really bad rock paper scissors style matchup uh from your warband to another or something like that being able to be the first one to decide where that large hill goes means that you're going to have this kind of l by l and then plus s around it right of of where no other terrain piece can go uh and and like josh said sometimes that is exactly what you want you know a cavalry army especially a melee cavalry army or something loves to be able to use a big hill to control the flow of their cavalry going in and out and uh or on the opposite someone who does not want uh, an army that's going to sit in terrain or uh perhaps there's an objective scenario where it's advantageous for your enemy to put a ranged unit within range of the objective, sitting in some rocky ground or ruins, hard cover and stuff, and you suddenly have the option of picking very first, and you find a way to, at the very least, on one side of the battlefield, completely take away that bunker option. And from that point on, you know that if he deploys this sort of bunker option terrain piece in the form of heavy cover, you know pretty much exactly where it's going to be at. And you can already start formulating your plan from there. Uh, and, and that's an important part, too. So being able to, to go first and at the same time, too, another thing I'd say about sitting down in which terrain you like is that when you set up an army, when you create a new warband, you should have in your mind about three or so perfect terrain setups that you would like to play these guys on and you can set it up at home or you can set it up on tabletop simulator you can make dummies or sketch it out or just think of it a lot but you should have at least three or so different setups that you feel comfortable moving your models around in a little bit and that goes a long way back to the the historical context we had at the beginning a, a sort of familiarity of the battlefield and something that I was going to talk about later on, too, with, with just something that chess players have a lot, which is just pattern recognition. You, you start to look down and recognize that battlefield because you've set up something approximately like this, maybe for your last 10 games. You might have a setup against an infantry warband, a cavalry armband, and, a, and you know, a shooting warband or something. You have kind of three to pick from. And then from there... You can, just like a chess player, take those kind of core moves, openings of terrain pretty much, and you can spiral those out into even more lines and say, well, what if my opponent places here and ruins that line a little bit? But ultimately, you should have some ideas of what terrain are big for your, your army, and you should know what terrain really hurts your army based on the kind of three or four main archetypes that you're going to go up against of, of other warbands and stuff. So as you're sitting there painting your models, you might as well, you know, we've gotten away from a lot of big, cool looking terrain now because the, the flat packs are so mm -hmm. perfect. I mean, they're absolutely perfect for playing uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, you might as well be painting terrain up in your mind at the same time, too. How are you going to deal with 
with Woods? How are you going to deal with getting slowed down? Are you going to be able to make the bottlenecks you want? And if the answer is yes, what's it look like in your idyllic, perfect world? And know mm-hmm. always that you never get that, but we can start to build a skeleton of a strategy that adheres to terrain and warband choice and scenario all at once. And initially, you know, you're only thinking about that in Clash. Because Clash is the boxing match, again, of of this. You know, that's the vacuum, the nothing else going on, just fight and fight going on between. But I, I guess we've already given several examples where the scenario, it really, really matters. But at the very least, you should have some core concepts for how terrain helps and hurts your warband going in. I, I think that's a really, really valid point, too. It's something I, I can't wait to talk about later is kind of like drilling and having that idea of like what is like the perfect setup for your warband look like um but it also ties back to that i think the point josh made is the idea that you had this plan when you went in and you said this is how i'm going to do this and if it presents itself this is going to be perfect and this is going to be that i think the, the word you use a lot steve when we talk is the optimum terrain setup and how it's going to advantage your warband and what you're trying to do and drilling I think it's kind of the term we, we come around a lot to is like drilling your mindset of like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how like the perfect setup, the the idea of when I have this war band on the table, this is what I want to see. Um, and so I guess that's maybe kind of leads us into probably one of our last couple of questions was kind of what do you do when you're sitting down and you have unoptimum or optimum terrain placement sitting in front of you? Well, I... I would say that in many ways that's getting into the topic of deployment and deployment by itself is is probably a whole other episode and stuff too. And really these two shouldn't be split up from each other because terrain and deployment go hand in hand, but to try to contain the the conversation a little bit, I think we should be limited on deployment, but in general, that's going to be the way that we address bad terrain every time. But a lot of times, you might not have any control over the terrain in a way that's hurting you. And I guess an example of that would be, you know, we were talking about, I think, what is it, feasting and pillaging or whichever it is where we have three terrain pieces in the center or uh, three objective markers. Yeah, in the like center. feasting and pillaging. Yep. yep. And so if, if, if my ideal scenario with my Numidians every single time had to do with a marsh being in the middle of the field, well, <laughs> I'm ruined right off the bat. I need to have a more flexible game concept than that a little bit. And that's why we should have a variety of stuff there too. But in general, there's just some scenarios where because of your warband choice or something else like that, you're ruined on terrain. And, and you just have to play good fundamentals from there on out. Uh, to try, and, and a lot of what we were talking about earlier, optimizing your attack, getting the most amount of your army versus the smallest part of their army. And a lot of that is deployment too and denying flanks and stuff. But see what Josh so, thinks on that. Yeah. I, okay. So, so this partly comes back to, in my mind, first and second player, right? First player. So... And also, how much interest do you have in terrain and how it interfe- interacts with the game, right? So if you have a player who has no interest or care at all about terrain, they might place terrain on the edge in, in a place that won't even matter, right? And so if you think about that, if you care but your opponent doesn't, at the most, you'll probably have two pieces that will play a, a factor, right? The, the pieces you play place down right and one of those will probably be moved right in fact it'll probably be 
you'll have the last placement, right? Because what happens, either if you're first or second, doesn't matter. You will, the one of those pieces will be moved and you'll have the final placement of a piece that may or may not be your preferred place, right? Uh, so ultimately I'm trying to say is if you're a first player, you know you have first and third placement and there's four guaranteed pieces of terrain that's going to be on the board, right? Because you can place the third, your opponent can move one of those three and then you place that last one. Right. If you're second player, you know you place the second one. First player has to place two. And then you can place the fourth piece. And your opponent can now move something. And then you have a for sure fifth piece. Right. So that actually might matter depending on your army. Right. If you're pagan peoples and mm -hmm. they have the teleport. Right. Someone has a teleport. Right. Someone has the ability mm -hmm. to run through pagan people. It, right. It, it matters. Right. And so maybe you want that. Right. And if you're place facing that opponent, your your choices on what pieces you place matter. Right. Like if you're facing pagan peoples, you're like, oh, well, maybe you really want to avoid anything that's unstable. Right. You only want to place what is it, dangerous terrain or the open terrain. Right. And so now you could limit the options that they could, you know, take to their advantage. They want to place uneven terrain everywhere. But if you let them, then you're giving them better spots to pop out of right it's it's kind of lame but you're talking about on unoptimal terrain placement right well if you have two players that are actually interested in terrain being on the table and influencing the game then i think it doesn't matter you will always have suboptimal terrain right because that's the game of part of like choosing your battlefield you both have a say in how it's placed and and sometimes you place well and sometimes you don't uh, it just sort of, I think you have a, ch in the fact that you have a choice, right, you have, um, you, you, you basically have to pick, what do you want? Do you want to disturb your opponent's deployment? Do you want to sort of limit their options? Do you want to protect your own deployment and limit, you know, the, what your opponent can do to discourage your deployment, right? So you have to kind of pick and you have to sort of play around that, like, like Stephen was saying, it really does kind of. Uh, ultimately, after that, it deploy, you know, your deployment matters, right? You, you, you then choose how you deploy, and um, that can play a big factor because um, you could just all deploy on one side where it's all open, and then essentially it's like the train doesn't matter again, right? Yep. <laughs> like that could happen, yep. and that has happened many times. Bingo, right? So, right, or you could say I'm going to take advantage of this train that was placed, and suddenly the battlefield is now not directly across from each other; it's sort of at a skewed angle of some sort. So anyway, that I that's I I adapt to the train that's suboptimal by my deployment. Honestly, that and I try to think of that why I'm placing yep. the train. Like, where am I going to place my units? Generally, I think of this idea, and then sometimes in the middle, I might have to switch it up. Mm -hmm. uh, try to be adaptable. And maybe I think back uh, I think oh, oh let's go ahead, Britt. There. No, no, I was just going to jump in and say I think that maybe leads back to Stephen's point is that you know covering terrain, there's like multiple nuances to this. And then once it's in front of you, now there's the next game of where do I start putting my warband and leading us to those next questions. But I didn't want to cut you off, Stephen. It's kind of kind of some of your last well, thoughts. Well, something that he hit on, which is is probably one of the greatest conundrums in the terrain game. If if you are one of the players that's decided I care about the terrain game, and now you've come to the the all important third and fourth decision making in the phase, which is ultimately as the second player, do you move? Or do you place or do you pass? All of these are important decisions to, to try to make. Uh, and sometimes 
you might have set up your first terrain piece or they set up theirs and it get, finally gets to the point where you get to decide whether you're going to move or not, but instead you've noticed, crap, they got the upper hand on me in this terrain deployment, and now I have to decide, do I put down a terrain piece to help me out in the way that I was hoping? You know, maybe I didn't get the bottleneck I wanted. Maybe mm -hmm. my opponent didn't pick the piece that I was really thinking he was going to, and now I want to pick it. You know, those are heavy decisions, but... As soon as you elect to put that new terrain piece down, you look and you see that rather than moving, that pagan player, that pagan people's player or something has now put down yet another terrain piece. And it's back <laughs> to you again. And you say, oh, crap, I didn't I, I certainly didn't want this. I didn't want five terrain pieces on the field or something like that. Uh, and, and it's easy to get caught in that. Sometimes you get in this bubble and this is also kind of a, you know, a chess phenomenon where we learn to drill the same line and the same opening off of the same line over and over again, that as soon as there's a slight deviation, you get, uh, I think, what I, what Josh calls the mental jihad at that case. You get a huge brain static moment, and you say, oh, no, like this is so outside, even though it's so similar to what I've been drilling, it's, it's so off, and uh, it's, it's throwing me a curve. Mm -hmm. And I don't know always how to advise on that one, too, because, again, it's going to be such a matter of scenario. It's a matter of a and all the diverse factors that make Saga great. But having to figure that out on the fly sometimes is is the worst part. And I've certainly really hurt myself in games and, and lost games, I feel like, because I made the wrong decision at that time. And I should have put something down or I should have moved. Sometimes you might elect to take the move just so that your opponent doesn't get the chance to move later on. You feel like this is going to be a game that has more than just these three terrain pieces uh, that are obligatory on the field. Uh, and that happens a lot once, once, once two players have a new, fresh idea. They, they taste the blood and the water that is the terrain game. Often you'll sit down at their terrain, their table and see that it is packed to the gills with terrain to the point where no one is having any advantage from it. And you see both sides didn't get what they wanted. And as a result, they have a huge clogged battlefield. Uh, just Charles and I have done this in the past, just drilling for Adepticon and other stuff like that, too. And we sit down and we say, like, crap, then we, there's nowhere to deploy. I can't even come get you. <laughs> Like all this yeah. stuff is ruined. My technique is ruined. So bringing it back to point, though, deciding whether you want to move that piece, place another piece or pass is, is possibly the most important phase, uh, depending on your warband and opponent, obviously, but maybe the most important phase of the terrain game. And while I can't give any sage-like advice on it, just being aware that that obstacle is there mm -hmm. and, and somehow trying to prep for it when you're making this ideal battlefield back and forth it, it needs to be there because sometimes just one wiggle or them passing or something else like that. And you say, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting this. I thought, and it, and it throws you for a loop. So. I, I agree hundred uh, percent. The, the three categories, right. Move, pass, place, right. Like, like when I was playing uh, age of Viking tournament in 2022 at Epticon, I was at against Sean. He had Irish, I had Vikings, right. I had ability to move the trees that his levy were later deployed in that or that, that had the ability to, you know, shoot and 
annihilate my forces. I it's always against the Irish. <laughs> Not to cut you off, but man, it was our losses against the Irish too. God, but I could have moved them back, right? I didn't know that that mattered that much at that time, right? But afterward, thinking about that game, thinking about how it influenced that bunker that he had was pretty, pretty amazing, pretty impressive. And if I had basically moved that tree set of trees back M. I don't know if it was rocky ground or what it was, but it was, it was something that he could sit in and be, have defensive and get bonuses. It was probably like the, the, the rocky ground, right. Or the stony, uh, the ruins or something. But if I'd been able to move that back, right. That M that unit would not have had range on my, uh, uh, my, my abilities. I would have been able to use that, that my objective, right. I would be able to claim the objective much easier and possibly had a chance to win. Um, Sean definitely won that game. <laughs> they did a good job, but like I'm just saying, I think about that, right? I should have yep. moved that one piece of train against the Irish, and so it's Irish. And, and <laughs> it's almost worth commenting that that in itself, that kind of one of the many saga archetypes of warbands is a terrain-based warband. Sure. Uh, and that's one of the things that sometimes frustrates me with a tournament that might have fixed terrain or something like mm. that. You know, you don't really see that anymore. But at the at the beginning, you know, it was normal to have fixed terrain at tables and stuff like that. But some warbands are like their abilities are predicated upon terrain and stuff like that. In in other war games, maybe it's a good idea to be in terrain. But for this, you know, maybe half your abilities are related to how close you are within terrain and and it's usually going to be the Celtic factions or something like that. It's usually going to be, you know, Czechs, yeah. Irish, Welsh. But then the game is fun and you're one of these war bands through mercenary units. And, you know, I think you scouts and guides, I think both. Yeah. Uh, both great. open up a terrain piece for you, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in a way, you know, you were talking about what do you do when you're around is. You cut out on the last statement, Steve. You cut out on it. Oh, did I break up there? You're on a good run. I, I hate to cut you off. You're on a good run and yeah. cut out. All right. Well, if I'm back here, I would say that that, yep. that mercenary is is such a big factor that there have been times that I'm going to a, a competitive event and you can take a mercenary and you don't find one that synergizes with your warband. But boy, those scouts and stuff always are going to synergize with terrain. And it's a great backup plan. Uh, or a way to mitigate a problem you have in a scenario where maybe your warband is not as good at it. Uh, I don't know if this is the right example, but I think uh, really Ron had an event there where uh, you had to claim an item that was in the middle of a marsh. Uh, and so I don't think the scouts oh. helped you with a marsh, um, but it's an example where maybe there's a terrain piece that's vital to the game and you're playing a mm -hmm. cavalry army. And you got to have something to be able to get you in there or something. So that's one of the cool factors, too. Or just considering taking a, a terrain-focused warband like Pagan Peoples or like Irish or something, but you run into that same risk. You might sit down and say, oh, no, this is an event where somehow terrain is limited. And by that factor, my offense is limited. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that's always a wild card, too, sometimes. But a lot of events nowadays will be talking about what terrain will be available, whether it's going to be a more limited scenario or not. And so as Saga grows and its community grows and its tournament community grows, you know, I think they're mitigating that issue a little bit. You know, the other other interesting thing is like uh, at Adepticon, 
right? For example, they had tables set up, but they didn't have the full set of terrain available for every table that they shared between two tables. And so that makes it even more interesting in a way because you have possibly less options. Like you might not get the big open hill, right? You might not have the ruin. You might have to do something different and be more adaptable. And I think that's really kind of an interesting thing. And it's sort of in, in line with the um, the pre-deployment. Like I don't prefer the preset deployment, but practicing with it is interesting because it sort of stresses, okay, well, how can you adapt to what you've got? Mm. You know, now granted, in historically setting, generals could possibly choose whether they engaged or not, right? Yeah. So they they could, just say, hey, I'm going to avoid battle, and they didn't have the battle. Yeah, we're um, going to delay it a day, and I'll see you tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, or like maybe I'll go on somewhere the else. for three weeks is, is a pro- yeah. common one, too. <laughs> right, like until it's more advantageous to me for some whatever reason. But like, and so that sort of is a representative, but it still is interesting, right? Like being able to practice in any sort of scenario and figure out how to make it to your advantage, how to get an edge, right? In that mm-hmm. case, if it's preset terrain, right, you, it's really about how and where you deploy. Like where mm-hmm. you deploy in relation to the scenario, how is yeah. that going to work? Right. That that's kind of a like uh, maybe a unique skill in itself. But and I prefer the, the player place to kind of piggyback yeah. on Stephen on that thought is the idea of deployment is maybe a different topic we'll jump into because it in itself is terrain is kind of that first, and I don't even want to call it a mini game because it is the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the first most important thing. And then the next thing is deployment is because now I've got this battlefield in front of me and I've done, I've either, I think all the goals you guys have talked about is, you know, is have I made this advantageous for my war band? Have I made it disadvantageous? Have I adapted it to the, um, to the scenario at that point and kind of gone along with all of this different stuff um, and made it to where you're going to be able to play better in that terrain than the other person. Um, And that's where I think maybe kind of leaving some of that stuff and kind of almost even picking up, Maybe next time with deployment, or at least making deployment a, a future topic that we definitely need to discuss. Um, and so I just want to give a second for any last thoughts. So I know we're kind of running. I say this is a. Oh, yeah. I don't know what our time's like. I was going to say we can, okay. we can, we can talk for quite a bit on, uh, especially yep. go grab another beverage here. I think we can talk for a while. But <laughs> that's why, I, like uh, I said, I think kind of at this point is I, I would like to just think about like any last thoughts on terrain and we'll kind of wrap it up. And if we need to come back to terrain, session two then we will because I, I say so many of these we have spent hours talking about these around the table and this is maybe just a small snippet of what gets talked about so okay i, I got a last thoughts. I, I got a i got a real good quick one here too a little bit which is obviously to restating everything i said earlier that the terrain is one of the not just most important parts about saga but it's also one of the greatest privileges of Saga. If you haven't played other war games and stuff, sometimes you don't recognize what a gift it is in Saga to be able to not have to sit there and argue with your opponent and, and, and move things around in silly ways and, and other things like that until finally someone gives and, and the other person gets an advantageous deployment or, or something else like that. But it's built into the game you see it reflected in the Saga abilities. You see it reflected in the scenarios and the way that Saga dice are dealt out and things like that. It's an important aspect, and it can be intimidating at the beginning of playing Saga because you say, I just figured out how my boards work. I want to get past all this stuff. I want to get my armies painted and stuff. That That's fine, but once you're ready to want to engage in 
a more sporting uh, type of saga a little bit, then you want to practice it a little bit. And that leads me to kind of my final point there, too, which is terrain setup and terrain drilling is something that you can do by yourself and something that you can do with your club mates. And a lot of times it can be kind of fun, too, a little bit. But an easy way of doing it is to just play through the opening sequence of the, the terrain placement. Look down, talk about what you can see for a minute, talk about what warbands you might be using at the time, and then reset, and then do it again, and then do it again. A lot of times, if you set up and break down terrain with the same opponent and the same warband several times, it's interesting the insight that you gain from the small adjustments that you make about the hypothetical battles that you fought out looking at these previously set up terrain pieces. And after a bit, you can do it pretty quickly. And again, going back to chess, pattern recognition is a powerful way to be a competitive game player because it gives your brain a break. Your brain gets to pick up at that point rather than have to read that whole field. It gives you kind of a springboard into the next phase of your, your mental strategy and avoiding the, the mental jihad, as it were, uh, to get in your head there a little bit. And so you can set it up at home. Tabletop simulator is an easy way too. But if you don't have an opponent and you don't feel like playing against yourself in an imagination sort of way, consider that for the most part, the saga board is divided into kind of nine rectangles uh, on the field. And the terrain, for the most part, is going to land in one of those nine rectangles. You can try to randomly assign those out to those different areas. Uh, you can do a couple other things like that and, and just think about it in that way. Sometimes the shape of the terrain is a big factor, too, that we didn't talk about. And we can get to that in another podcast or, or something else like that. Mm -hmm. But being able to be at that point, setting it up, thinking about these exercises are, are some of the good ways to build your game outside of playing games of Saga. And, and again, my admiration constantly for, for dedicated chess players, because when they get done playing chess, they go home and they break out their board and they go through their game. Oh, and I my computer just died. All right. Can you hear oh, me? No. I can oh, still no. hear you. Okay, so. okay, we're good. So anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, they go through their game. And you can't always go through your game at home. But you can set up terrain pretty easy. You can just use cardboard squares or cutouts or something else like that or tabletop simulator, another great, great way of setting it up. And on tabletop simulator, you can even deploy over and over again. And just just look, see how many times you can screw yourself with deployment if you were your imaginary opponent mm -hmm. and, and look at your foiled positions in front of you. And from that point already have the ability to grow for them from them before you actually even have to put your models down in an actual match with your opponent uh drilling we'll talk about this a lot i think in this podcast drilling is mm -hmm. just a fantastic way for all game players to get better at their games and and that's that's just a really basic terrain drill or whatever is set up yeah. break it down set up break it down if you've got a buddy even better so uh, i'll leave I, it at that but i uh, definitely a fun thing to do with your clubmates sometimes I think I could echo that same sentiment, uh, drilling. The thing I want to call out is we had a tournament um, in July where from the Book of Battles, claiming territory was, I think, one of the, mm -hmm. one of the scenarios. One of our and scenarios. I never played that before. And I spent hours practicing 
how would I place terrain based on if I first player or my second player? Is my army that I'm facing ranged? Are they mobile? Are they cavalry? Are they infantry? I It went back and forth, and I tried uh, all the different variations. I will admit, I lost that game, but not because of terrain deployment. It was because I let the pagan peoples get a chance to pop into the, the terrain yeah. piece. I thought I had blocked them out, and they didn't. So that's not quite the same reason. But I gotta say this this scenario is amazing because it's it's asymmetrical based on if you're first or second player yep. and based on how it works. And so if you think about what is your army, are you a javelin cavalry army? Are you an infantry army? Are you a ranged army? Are you just a you know, we're gonna go punch them in the face army? Mm -hmm. That might change. And that I think is a very interesting scenario to practice on. If you're thinking about a context, I would maybe suggest that and think about how like do you want to disrupt your opponent's deployment zone or do you want to protect your opponent's deployment zone how are you going to give yourself an edge that's what i would say is uh maybe a, a takeaway from from this conversation no, i mean those are all really really great points and they're probably things i guess at this point if it wasn't 10 30 at night i'd probably start doing it right after i stopped recording <laughs> here um but i just want to say thank you guys for both being here today and kind of walking walking me through this idea of terrain and just kind of a lot of the theory behind it and your own personal take. I mean, it sounds like we have a lot left to talk about and we'll probably revisit this in the future. Um, so I just want to say thank you guys and we'll kind of check you on the next one. All right, thank you. All right, good being here.